All right, open your Bible to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? John chapter 5. By the way, you look so nice. Why don't you just tell somebody right now? You look so nice. You do. You look good. Bless one another in the name of the Lord. Amen. John chapter 5 verse 16 says this. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Now, what was Jesus doing on the Sabbath that was so horrible? He was healing people. What a horrible thing to do on the Sabbath, right? I mean, just terrible. And, and they just could not stand when he did that. He just couldn't stay. They were just looking for any reason to kill him, to crucify him. Skip down to verse 24. Jesus continued to preach to the Pharisees and to others. I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone, because he is the Son of Man. So don't be surprised, indeed... The time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. What a way to start the day. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, this is your word. You inspired every word of it. It's the sword of the Spirit the Word of God. We ask as we come today, as we have been celebrating, as we have been rejoicing in this day that you rose from the grave and conquered death, hell, and the grave and brought victory to us, brought us life. God, I pray that as I preach the Word today and as the Word goes forth, that it will not be my words, but it will be your words that will transform our hearts. Now I want you to pray this out loud. Say, Jesus, I'm here. Touch me, change me. I want to walk out of here different than I came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today I'm preaching the last message of a, of a series we've been on called The Fellowship of the Spirit. And if you would like to go back, you can go on to our website, newdaydfw.com, and find those other messages. But today, I want you to know that I'm preaching, well, let me just, for some of you, you've got to go back and listen to it, but for time's sake, we started with the fellowship of the Spirit, which is about the church of Jesus Christ, because the church is a fellowship of the Spirit. 
Let me say that again. The church is a fellowship of the spirits. It's not a building. It's not an edifice. As beautiful as the cathedral was that burned down recently, as tragic as that was, it was still just a building. And it's, it's you know, they, one of their claims to fame is at Notre Dame is that supposedly the original crown of thorns is there. I got to say, I highly doubt it. But if it is, and if those crown of thorns burned, then let them burn, baby, because all they are is a vine. My true king doesn't wear a crown of thorns. He wears the crown that is above every other crown because he wears and bears the name that is above every other name because he is not just a king. He is the king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Can I get a witness to that? So we are a of His Spirit carrying out the mission of Christ to reach a lost and dying world, discipling believers, destroying the works of darkness, and shining the light of His glory to all nations. That is the fellowship of the Spirit. Then last week we talked about the two towers. Though I didn't really mention the movies or anything like that. It was about the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And how we don't need to be afraid of the kingdom of darkness because the one who leads a defeated foe. He's a depossessed, he's a, he's a, he is possessed, but he's a depossessed king or prince. He's not even a king. He's not a true king. And so we don't need to be afraid of the king of darkness nor his kingdom because we are of the kingdom of lights. We are the greater kingdom. And this week, we want to talk about the return of the king. The return of the king. You see, the true church of Jesus Christ teaches that Jesus is God. He was, he is, and he is to come. He came from heaven to earth, born of a virgin, and was laid in a stable. We teach that Jesus is the true Messiah that Israel was waiting for and that the world would come to know about. You see, we teach about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That the central character of Easter is not a bunny that lays colorful candy-filled eggs, but the central character is King Jesus, the one who died for our sins to make us free and rose again to give us life. You know, I, I asked the worship team to sing that song, Glorious Day. It's very specific. There was some, some interesting uh, musical parts of that that we had to get right, and those guys worked on it, and you guys nailed it. There was another song, and I thought, no, I'm not going to overburden with them, so I'm just going to quote the other song I would have had them do. And it's a new song that took, a, took an old song and made it new again. It's called Ain't No Grave. Anybody remember that, Ain't No Grave? They, they change the lyrics a little bit. It says, oh, there was a battle, a war between death and life. And there on a tree, the Lamb of God was crucified. And he went on down to hell. He took back every key. He rose up as a lion, and he set all captives free. There ain't no grave that could hold his body down. There ain't no grave that could hold his body down. When he heard the trumpet sound, he rose up out of the ground. There ain't no grave that could hold his body down. How many of you can say amen to that? Amen. Oh, but it keeps going. Oh, fear is a liar with a smooth and velvet tongue. Fear is a triumph, he, or tyrant. He always 
telling me to run. Ah, but I love this line. Oh, but love is a resurrection. And love is a trumpet sound. Love is my weapon, and I'm going to take my giants down because there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. There ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Why? Because when I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to rise up out of the ground. There ain't no grave going to hold my body down. You see, the message of the resurrection is not that Jesus was trying to show off. Jesus did not die. And Jesus did not rise again for his own benefits. The true story of Resurrection Sunday is that he died and he rose again for the benefit of you and me. He died and rose again so that we could be set free. I want to talk to you for a minute about the first coming of Jesus. In the Old Testament... There are over 400 references to the first coming of the Messianic King. In spite of having these references, there were those who missed it completely. They missed the Messiah. Oh, they saw him. Those that we're going to study today in the next few minutes, the characters, they saw him, but they missed that he was the Messiah. They missed the first coming. Then there were those who embraced him. There were those who saw him in a different light. Let's talk about him for a minute. First of all, those first ones that missed it were the Pharisees. The Pharisees missed the first coming of Christ. What we read earlier in John chapter 5, he was really in that passage rebuking the Pharisees for missing his own coming. And he was telling them, even in this point, and he was prophesying, but don't worry, you may have missed the first coming, but I'm coming again. I'm coming a second time. And those who hear my voice, all will rise again. And those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who continue in evil will experience judgment. We'll talk about at the end what it means when he said to do good. But some people think, if I do enough good, to outweigh my bad, then that gives me entry to heaven. I'll just go ahead and give you a little thing right here. No, that's not true. He wasn't saying if you do enough good, it'll outweigh the bad. Now, I'll talk to you about what he means in that later on. In this passage, Jesus refers to his own returning. In fact, over 21 times in the Gospels, Jesus referred to his second coming while he was in the midst of his first coming. Still, the Pharisees missed it. If you go to John chapter 5, verse 35, we're going to pick up the story there as he begins and he continues to rebuke the disciples, or not, the, excuse me, not the disciples, the Pharisees. John chapter 5, 35 says, John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings and my miracles. Can I just stop and say, it really does boil down to that. His word and his power. His word and his power. Spirit and truth. 
And he continues, the father gave me these works to accomplish and they prove that he sent me. And the father who sent me has testified about me. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me. The one who sent me. You search the scriptures. Listen to this. You search the scriptures because they, you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me and to receive this life. Can I just tell you, you can read the word of God from back to front and front to back. But if you don't understand that this word of God points to Jesus, then you're missing it all. You're missing everything. You see, the word points to the word. Let me say it again. The word points to the word. You can memorize it, you can know it, but if you don't know Him, you still can die in your sin. You see, these religious scholars who studied the law and the prophets day and night completely missed the Messiah that they literally prayed for on a daily basis. How? Let's go on down to verse 41. Your approval, I love this, your approval means nothing To me, oh, that the church of Jesus Christ would grab a hold of that truth right there. That you don't need the approval of the world. Hey, I'm preaching really good right now, and you you need to know about it right now, that the approval of the world should mean nothing to you. Why do we continue to try to impress the world that crucified our God? Let me move on. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. How could the Pharisees who knew the Scriptures better than anyone else miss it? They didn't have the love of God in them. They didn't understand the love of God. They didn't know the love of God. Then verse 46, if you really believed Moses, by the way, just so you understand, Moses was like the highest prophet In in the Jewish culture, they looked at Moses and they looked at him as more than just giving the Ten Commandments. They looked at him as a prophet of God who spoke the word of God. And he says, if you really believe Moses, you would believe in me because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I said? You see, the Pharisees neither had the love of God nor the faith to believe God. And what they read. The Pharisees and religious leaders missed the first coming of Christ. But I'm here to tell you, there was a Gentile woman who embraced it. In Matthew chapter 15, there's a story. And I don't want to paraphrase it. I want to read it because it's so powerful out of the scripture itself. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28 says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, Not a word. What? This is Jesus. He answered her, Not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. She's getting on our nerves, Lord. 
But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Verse 25, then she came and worshipped him and said, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Oof, so much there. I don't have time. Let's move on. Verse 27, and she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. How could a woman who was not raised in the church who did not know the scriptures from a young age, who couldn't tell the difference between Moses' writings and Jeremiah's writings. She couldn't quote it. But yet she recognized that this was more than a man. By her statement, she said, you're my Lord. By her actions, she worshipped. It wasn't just, and I believe the desperation was obviously there, but it wasn't just a desperation. She recognized who he was. And embraced him. This Gentile woman may not have known as many verses as the Pharisees. But she knew who the Lord was. And she embraced him. She embraced the first coming. Who else missed it? Can I tell you the crowds missed it? Crowds are fickle, aren't they? Crowds are so fickle. One day they're following Jesus. Loving his fish and chips. And that he's handing out. And then the next day, they're walking away because he says they must eat his flesh and his blood to follow him. So fickle, those crowds. Only receiving what they like and rejecting what they don't. How many of you know you can't do that with the word of God? It's all or nothing. That's a good Texas statement right there. It's all or nothing with Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 and 14 says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You see, many in the crowds just didn't get who Jesus was. They thought maybe he was a, a prophet, Jeremiah, risen from the dead, or, or maybe he was Elijah, or maybe even John the Baptist who had, who had recently died. Maybe, maybe that, maybe John the Baptist, you know, kind of came into this person, Jesus. They didn't get it. They didn't get that he was the Messiah. But if we keep reading, we find out the crowds may have missed it, but Peter embraced him. Look at verse 16, or 15, excuse me. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered. Guys, do we have those scriptures up? I want you to see this. Verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Did you hear that? You are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
but I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see, the crowds couldn't understand it, but Peter embraced the first coming of Christ and said, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Peter stepped out and declared what the Father had revealed to to him, and he was dubbed immediately as a leader of Jesus' church that was to come. Under the anointing of God, Peter became a powerhouse preacher of the gospel. Under the anointing of God, Peter took what God spoke to him and spoke it out. Peter and his brother Andrew and their family and their friends embraced Jesus' first coming while literally some of Jesus' own family, friends, and neighbors rejected his claims. You see, Jesus' hometown, his own hometown missed the first coming. In Mark chapter 6, the Bible declares that Jesus goes back to his own hometown and accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What is this wisdom that he's been given? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him, the Bible says. And then Jesus made this word and said this, A prophet is not welcome in his own hometown. A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, in his own home. He could, do, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hand on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Can I just say verse 5 always blows my mind every time I read it? He could do no miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Listen, if we just lay our hands on a few sick people and heal them, we'd have revival break out in the church in America. And the Bible declares, oh, that's the simple thing. That's the little thing. (laughs) Got quiet on this great Easter morning. Hmm. He was amazed at their lack of faith. You see, his own hometown could hear the wisdom. They could see the miracles, yet they still took offense because he was familiar to them. Familiarity breeds contempt. I believe that saying came out of this very passage and understanding. Familiarity breeds contempt. They saw Jesus. I remember I grew up in the same church all my life until I was 21, 22 years old where I youth pastored there. Literally, that's where I was dedicated. That's where I came to Christ at the altar. I went to camp and got filled with the Holy Spirit. Received the call to ministry all under the leadership of that local church. My family had been a part of that church for years before I was born. All told, the last person to finally leave that church and go help with another church plant, my family had been a part of that church for over 45 years. I understand this principle. 
Because when I got the call to preach and I became the youth pastor, some people looked at me and were like, wait a minute. We changed your diapers in the nursery. Hello? We taught you when you were just a snotty-nosed little kid. When you were running around in Royal Rangers and couldn't tell the difference between a tent and a tent peg, we knew you then. We knew you when you were running in the halls and we had to tell you, little Ricky, stop that. We don't run in the house of God. And then I would try and get up and preach and you could almost feel, you could almost feel something in the air that was like, who does this little kid think he is? Hmm. Praise God, my own home church didn't keep that attitude forever. And I tell you, towards the end of my tenure there, we had church. We saw miracles. Joni got to be there when we saw it. It was awesome. But his town just couldn't accept it. But you know who did? A Samaritan town. There was a Samaritan town that Jesus came to. And they were just traveling through. And as good Jewish people, the disciples knew we got to get from here to here, but we got to stop here and we got to feed our, our God. We got to feed our Lord. We got to make sure that our master is taken care of. Jesus, just sit here by the well. We won't, we won't bother you with going into this unforsaken, ungodly town, this little Samaritan town, this bunch of half, one, half wits and all these people in here. We don't want you getting mixed up in that crowd, Jesus. So we'll go into town. We'll get the food. You hang out here by the well. I know I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But in that time, Jesus sat happily down by the well, and many of you know the story. There was a woman that came out of town to get a, a jar of water to take it back, and she began a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus began a conversation with her. And they began to talk about life, and they began to talk about religion. They began to talk about God and about worship. And she began to debate with him, well, you say we should uh, worship here, and, and, but we say we should worship here, and, and all of this. And going back and forth, and finally, the gifts of the Spirit began to operate. And a word of knowledge came through Jesus as he spoke. as she said, well, my husband, and she said, what are you talking about? You've had five husbands, and the guy you're shacking up with now isn't even your husband. Whoa! I thought we were having a nice little religious debate. Now you're going to get personal? Read it. And he said, but woman, forget all that. There's water you don't know about. The water of life. I'm the one who can give it to you. She says, give it to me. She says, I know that when the Messiah comes, he will show us all things. And then he makes this statement, I am he. And what does this little sinful, religious, Samaritan woman do? She embraces Jesus. She embraces the message. It says in verse 28 of John chapter 4, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? 
they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of of the world. His own hometown rejected him, but the Samaritan town embraced him and said, you are who you say you are. You are the Messiah, the Savior of the world. One last example. Judas missed him, but Mary embraced him. Turn to John chapter 12 with me, please. Six days before the Passover, we're nearing the time of the Passion Week. Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. How many of you know if your brother got raised from the dead from Jesus, you would do just a little bit of a feast? Come on, somebody. I mean, they made it all. I mean, we've got a good feast after this, but I'm telling you, they made it all. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary... Some people get confused on which Mary this was. This was Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Verse 4, but one of his disciples, can you guess who? Judas who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now listen, my wife has already made very clear what she wants for Mother's Day. And I plan to oblige. So when I go to Belk and I purchase that item, I can tell you assuredly, It might be a day's wage, but it ain't no year's wage. I have personally never seen a perfume that cost 60 grand. Maybe you have. Seen a few cars that cost 60 grand, and I like them. But I've never seen a perfume that cost 60 grand. I don't know how Mary got it. I know that they were wealthy. Did you know that? Did you know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were wealthy? Go back in the scriptures. You can find that. In fact, they were some of the primary supporters of Jesus' ministry. I mean, some of us, we're like, hey, support this missionary. Can you imagine if I brought you a missionary with him and then his 12 disciples and their families and said, we're going to support these missionaries, this missionary and his entire team to go out and to preach the gospel? That's what Mary, Martha, and Lazarus did. Some of you need to get rich. Come on, somebody. Somebody's got to be rich so we can support some more missionaries and their teams and their families. It's all right. I didn't mean to put that in there. You're not supposed to talk about money on Easter. Where was I? (laughs) A year's wages poured out on his feet. Watch this, verse 6. John chapter 12, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, 
He used to help himself to what was put into it. I mean, that's the kind of guy that as the offering's going down, he's making change. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. And he helped himself to what was put in it. Verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now watch this. Judas, who had followed Jesus, saw the miracles of Jesus, heard the teachings of Jesus, even prayed with Jesus. All of the same things that the other 11 disciples had experienced betrayed Jesus and rejected him as Messiah. So what's the difference between Judas and Mary? Watch this. Mary was a giver. Judas was a thief. Mary gave into the bag while Judas took from the bag. Mary sacrificed her all to Jesus while Judas took advantage of Jesus. Mary worshipped while Judas objected. Mary wept while Judas scoffed. Mary invested while Judas withdrew. Can I tell you, if you don't hear anything else out of this message today on Easter 2019, don't be a Judas, be a Mary. Don't be Judas. Be Mary. You see, the Pharisees, the crowds, the neighbors, and Judas all missed out on the first coming of Christ, the Messiah. The Pharisees brought Jesus to Pilate to be crucified. The fickle crowd joined in and shouted, Give us Barabbas! Crucify Jesus! The neighbors of Jesus are absent from the Passion Week story at all. And Judas committed suicide. That's what happened to those who missed the first coming, but those who embraced. While the Gentile woman became an evangelist for Jesus and turned her whole town upside down, Peter led the first altar call of the new church and led 3,000 to Christ. The Samaritan's daughter was delivered and she was healed. And Mary became a leader in the church of Jesus Christ. That's what happened to those who rejected and who embraced the first coming of Christ. But can I ask you this question before we close today? Do you know he's coming back? There's a reason we call it the first coming. Because there's a second coming. Watch this. I got this from David Jeremiah, great Bible prophecy guy. Out of the 216 chapters found in the entire New Testament, did you know that there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ? That means if you were to omit passages about prophecy, you would have to remove one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament. You would also have to skip 23 of the 27 New Testament books which mention prophecy. For every prophecy about the birth of Christ, there are eight about his second coming. In total, scholars have identified 1,845 different biblical references to the second coming of Christ. Did you just hear what I said? 
1,845 different biblical references to the second coming of Christ. You see, Jesus came the first time as an innocent baby. But when he returns, he will come to rescue his children. Jesus came the first time to a small village with Mary, Joseph, a few shepherds and farm animals, and a few random kings from the east to welcome him. But when he returns, the whole world will see him. Jesus came the first time with an angelic choir in the heavens. But when he returns, a host of angelic armies will accompany him. Jesus came the first time to die for our sins. But when he returns, he will usher in a kingdom where sin does not dwell. Jesus came the first time to show us how to live in a fallen world. But when he returns, he will show us how to live in a new world and a new kingdom. Jesus came the first time as the Prince of Peace. But when he returns, he will come as the conquering king. Let me ask you, are you ready for Jesus to come again? Don't be a Pharisee full of religion and empty of love. Don't be part of the crowd who is driven along by every wind and wave of every doctrine. Don't be a neighbor and a townsperson who doesn't know about Jesus and who doesn't even know Jesus. Don't be a Judas who rejects the truth and clings to a lie. Be like the Gentile woman who understood her limitations but understood his authority. Be like Peter who turned his ear to hear the Father speaking and wasn't afraid to speak out. Be like the Samaritan woman who was willing to leave her sinful lifestyle behind to walk in the fullness of Christ. Be like Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who gave it all away to worship her Savior and experienced resurrection life. Jesus is really coming. I said, Jesus is really coming. And if you think he's come and this is heaven, you got another thing coming, baby. You need to look around. Just today, some of our brothers and sisters were slaughtered in a foreign land as Easter has not just become a day of celebration, but it has become a day when the enemy wants to take his full anger out on the people of God. We're not playing games here. It's time to wake up and realize this is not about a religion. It's not about a church house. It's about the risen king. It's about the risen Lord. And we don't celebrate Easter on Easter. We celebrate Easter every single day. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday every Sunday. Have you wondered why the church primarily meets on Sunday? It's because on the first day of the week, our early He arose. We celebrate His resurrection every Sunday. But we have to understand. He's coming again. Whew. Yes. Jesus, in his own words, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was 
in Noah's days. I want you to think as I read the words of Jesus. Is this like our day? It will be like it was in Noah's days. In Noah's, Noah's days, before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at all times. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. Jesus said, we must be ready. I have a question for you today. Are you ready to die? I've lived not a long time, but a while. Some of you think I've lived a long time. My kids think that. Chuck thinks that. But I've just lived for a little while. I'm just getting started. Come on. But I can tell you in the time that I have lived, I have come to understand that there is 100% chance of your death on the horizon. That's encouraging. You will die. It's going to happen to all of us. Are you ready? That's what he quoted earlier. When you hear that trumpet sound, are you going to rise up out of the ground? Some of you say, because you're savvy, (laughs) I don't plan to die. And it doesn't have anything to do with those cool cryo things. No, I don't plan to die because I plan to go in the rapture, Pastor. Well, same question. Are you ready to rise? Are you ready to rise? Can I tell you, religion won't save you. I love this quote. I don't know if it originated with Steve Hill, but he's the first place I heard it. Religion is hanging around the cross. Christianity is getting on the cross. I'm not inviting you to some flowery little path. I'm inviting you to die to your sin, to die to your sins, to die to yourself. You say, Jesus already died on the cross for me. Yeah. And he said, if anyone comes after me, he must take up his cross and die. He's got to give it up. You got to die to your sin. You see, not only will religion not save you, but the crowds won't save you. Listen, I was a youth pastor for 17 years, and I probably preached this same message at least once a week. Don't follow the crowds because they will lead you to death. The crowds are on the wide path, but according to Scripture, narrow is the way that leads to life. The blind lead the blind, and they both end up in the ditch. Stop trying to impress the crowds. They can't save you. Here's another one. 
Your family can't save you. Your family's faith can't save you. Just because your grandma Susie was a prayer warrior doesn't mean that you'll make it to heaven. It means you've got a better chance. Praise God for Grandma Susie. But it doesn't mean you're going to make it. Why? Because God has no grandchildren. Never in Scripture can I find where God has grandchildren. I can't find in Scripture where God has nieces or nephews even. God only has children. In this relationship, it's got to be father and daughter, father and son. Romans 10, 9 and 10, and you asked, I said to you earlier, Jesus said those who are good will go into the kingdom of light. What does good mean? Scripture also says that your goodness is as filthy rags. I don't want to describe what that means, but just take the worst. I'm not just talking about a mechanic with a dirty rag. I'm talking about the worst of worst. He says your righteousness, your goodness is as filthy rags before God. How can your goodness ever compare to the goodness of God? It can't. So what goodness was he talking about? Jesus said to do good is to follow my commands. And what are his commands? His commands are to repent and believe. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, today I'm inviting you to say yes to Jesus and no to yourself. See, that's the funny thing. You can't say yes without saying no. You can't accept life without recognizing a death. And today is your day. I don't care how many times you've been to church. I don't care how many people think you're walking the life. I don't care how many around you serve Jesus. This is between you and him today. So I would like to ask you to bow your heads right now. And I do this only for one reason, because I don't want you distracted. I just want you to bow your head and think and ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, am I saved? Have I confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? Do I believe that He is the Messiah? And am I willing to follow Him even unto death in that belief? You want to be a disciple of Jesus? All 12 of the original disciples died way before old age. Maybe John died of old age, but he did it in ex exile. Every one of the original disciples gave their life for a belief that I'm calling you to today. 
Every day there are believers around the world. There are people around the world who give up their religion. They lay it down. And they know that when they pick up the cross of Christ, they literally could be crucified. They literally could be shot. A hundred thousand of them at least give their lives every year for this faith I'm talking about. I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm not talking about a little hand raised and a little prayer. We're going to do that. But it's got to be more. Are you willing to stand for the Christ who died for you? Again, this is not your own righteousness. You can't do it. Even by standing in just a moment, it's not you being so cool and great. It's about recognizing that I have a need of a Savior. And I want, I want to be with Him forever and eternity, but I also want to walk with Him on this earth. And I want to be ready, should I die, or should He call that trumpet? Examine your heart. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to live? To truly live? If you say, Pastor, I'm not ready, but I want to be ready today. I want to truly leave this place changed. I want to I want to recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life and I want to declare it. Here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand if you want to do that. And then after that, I'm going to ask you to come forward. But I promise you, you won't be alone because there will be others that will stand with you and will come with you. There will be others that will come beside you But most importantly, Jesus Christ will stand with you. You say, why do you do this, Pastor? Because it's time we stop playing games. And as I look around this church, maybe there's someone who's never heard the gospel before. I recognize that. But I know most of you, and I know many of you have heard the gospel. It's time to stop playing games. When my brother came to Christ on Easter Sunday many years ago, He had been raised in church. He knew the gospel. But when a pastor similar to me made the call, he came forward. And from that point on, his life has been forever changed. And now, even as he ends the last part of his life, I know that one day I'll see him again when he dies. Because when he was 35, he made the decision. Now that he's 72, he's ready. Are you ready? If you say, no, pastor, I'm not ready, but I want to be, I want you to stand right where you're at. Stand up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't care what position you hold. I don't care where you're at. If you're not ready, let's get ready. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
you come? Would you step out and come? Come to the altar. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hmm. And I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. Some of you feel something going on in your gut, your stomach. It's like you're sweating bullets. It's because it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's time. I rebuke every lie of the enemy in Jesus' name right now. Spirit of religion, you must die here now. You have no authority in this place. Come on, now's the day. Today is the day. You're not promised tomorrow. You only have this moment. Jesus. 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 I believe it's time to get bold. Christian, if you're in this place right now and you believe that you're not sure of the person on your right and left, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask everybody to do it, but especially you. I want everyone to turn to the right and left right now and say, if you want to go, I'll go with you. Simple as that. Go ahead. I don't care how long you've known them. If they say, I want to go, then you bring them now. You bring them now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Today's the day. I want you to stand right now all over this place. I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I think I've only made this statement maybe twice in the last 30 years of preaching. It's a warning. And then we're going to leave it and we're going to celebrate. If you know that you're not right with God and you leave this place, I cannot promise you. I cannot promise you protection. And I cannot promise you what will happen next. Because the gospel has been preached to you. You've heard it clearly. And you've been given the opportunity this is your moment. I beg you, don't leave this building without making it right with God. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm warning you, which is what the Bible tells me as a preacher of the gospel to do. I'm warning you. God loves you so much that he took this time to pause to make sure you knew it. Come to him today. Amen? Worship team, come. Now, how many of you know somebody who needs Jesus? Would you raise your hand? Let's pray for them today. 
Maybe they're in church today, maybe they're not. But can I tell you, they don't have to be in church to hear the call of Jesus. Amen. Can we pray for them? God, we pray for the lost right now, our lost friends, our lost family members. God, those who are caught up in religion, who are caught up in the crowd, those who are caught up in familiarity. God, those who are caught up in all kinds of things, even deception. God, we pray for them now. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you would open up their hearts. God, open up their hearts to you right now. God, I know you died. I know you've given everything to save them. But God, we ask now that you would come to our friends, come to our neighbors, come to our family members. God, and open up their hearts so that they might receive. God, we break deception in their lives in Jesus' name. We break it off in Jesus' name and ask God that you would come and that you would fill them today. God, that even today they would be convicted. They would fall to their knees and they would cry out to you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you. We honor you. And we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.